Hey everyone, welcome to Genesis Church. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Hey, we have got a baptism service coming up on November the 9th. And uh, if you've been around for a Genesis baptism service before, you know that it's a huge celebration uh, as we celebrate folks who have given their life to Christ and who've accepted his life-giving forgiveness and have Uh, chosen to put their identity in him. I want to let you know that next weekend, November the 2nd, we're going to be hosting a baptism Q&A. It's a time for you to come and to ask some questions that you might have about baptism and to hear what Genesis believes about baptism. You can sign up for that today out at our info hub, or you can also go online to genesischurch.me to sign up for that. Uh, We also offer a class called Dive uh, for our kids who maybe are considering being baptized. The Dive uh, class in the baptism Q&A. There's more information about both of those things on the What's Happening page. You can pick that up at the Info Hub or also on the What's Happening tab, again, at genesischurch.me. But we would love for you to be a part uh, of our baptism celebration on November the 9th. Hey, I'm going to invite our host team to come forward and take up our offering this morning, and we celebrate that here at Genesis Church. Let's give God a hand. We just recognize that everything that we have Uh, is a gift from God. It's a gift from his hand. And so that's why we celebrate here at Genesis, because God is so good. And and so we just trust him, even with our finances, as we give back uh, to the ministry here at Genesis and ultimately to the kingdom of God. My name is Ben. If you're new here this morning, I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus. If this is your first time with us, I want to welcome you. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. I want to let you know that for the past several weeks, we've been looking at and working our way through the book of Ephesians in a series called Identity Crisis. And And what we've been learning is what it means to find our identity in Christ. That those two words right there are so important, in Christ. We've been focusing on that. And one of the things that we've seen is that the first half of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is all about laying the foundation of who we are in Christ. But in the second half of Ephesians, what we find is how to live from that identity. What does it mean for us to live as those who are in Christ? So last weekend, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4. And we saw that when we trust in Jesus and when we put our faith in him, that we are to take off the old self, all of the old manner of living, all of those old, uh, old self ways of living. And, and Paul says to put on the new self that is our new identity in Christ. And we should start seeing life and seeing people in a whole new way. And we will begin to live and to act more and more like Jesus as we grow in a relationship with him. Paul, in fact, says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we were created for. That's the whole point. God created us to be like himself. He created us to be like Jesus. And it's now our, our new self and our new identity when we are in Christ. That means as followers of Jesus that we seek honesty and integrity in all things. It means that we are not easily angered or or put out, but rather that we are compassionate and loving towards others. And what we acknowledged last weekend is that sometimes living that way is really hard, isn't it? Sometimes it's just a complete struggle. We, we know the good that, that we ought to do and, and the good that we want to do, but there's this other force that's at work inside of us as well. It's that old self wanting to draw us back into our old identity. And that is why it's so important that, that we realize that we cannot achieve this new identity within our own strength, within our own power. It's the reason why God gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. It's why if you're a Christ follower, that he has put his spirit inside of you. As we saw last week, transformation happens in the context of a relationship with God the Father. 
as we spend time in prayer and time in his word, and as we learn what it means to walk in obedience to his Holy Spirit, well, this is how we become more like Jesus, and this is how we begin to live fully into our new identity in Christ. You know, we need God's power and strength in us to live the lives that he's called us to live, and that is especially true when it comes to what we're going to talk about today. We looked actually at this verse last weekend. It was uh, the last, uh, last verse that we looked at, but I want to take some time this weekend to go back and, and to look at it again. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Uh, if you want to follow along in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so. If you want to grab a Bible, there are some on the floor around you. If you don't own a Bible, I want to invite you to keep one of those uh, as your own. It's our gift to you. But here's what it says in Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We're going to spend all of our time today just on these two verses in the book of Ephesians because today we're going to talk about forgiveness. And some of you may be thinking, Ben, didn't you just teach about forgiveness not too long ago? And I would simply say to that, yes, but you didn't do it, and so now we've got to talk about it again, okay? I'm kidding, of course. I, I don't know whether or not you forgave someone or, or even if you needed to forgive someone the last time we talked about this. Uh, but here's what I do know for sure. At some point in your life, at some point in all of our lives, we will experience two things. That is the need to be forgiven and the need to forgive Every single one of us, we, we will experience those two things. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. Sometimes we flat out sin against the people around us. And in those moments, we find ourselves in need of forgiveness. And we also know what it's like to be the recipient of a hurt or of a wrong or a misdeed. And in those moments, we become the one who needs to extend forgiveness. I know both of those scenarios have been true in my own life. Uh, I had to ask for forgiveness not too long ago, and I need to confess something this morning. And I want you to know uh, that my good friend John Williams is running sound this morning. He's on the Noblesville Police Department. And John, I'm just going to tell you, you might have to take me out of here in cuffs this morning because I robbed a bank. I did. I robbed a bank, and I, I have to confess it. I have to tell you about it. Uh, I got to get it off my chest because here, here's the thing. I've developed a really bad habit. I am notorious for driving away from the bank drive through with that little canister that you put your money in. What happens is, and I don't know if I just get in a hurry or what, but it comes back to me. Uh, I get it. I get my money, and I just toss it in the passenger seat, and then I drive away. I've done this more than once. And the last time it happened, I made it all the way to downtown Noblesville before I realized what I had done, and I looked over, and I was like, are you kidding me? I was already running late for something. And, uh, and so, of course, I, I turned my truck around. I went back to the bank, and as I pulled in, uh, the same teller was still working the window, and she kind of raised an eyebrow at me like, I wondered if you were going to come back, right? And, uh, and I had to ask for forgiveness in that moment. Come to find out, those, those little tubes are actually pretty expensive. Uh, so I had, I had a need uh, to ask for forgiveness. I'd made a mistake. And in a perfect world, when someone hurts us or wrongs us or, or makes a mistake, there would be an admission of guilt and an apology, and then we would forgive, right? In a perfect world, that's just how this, this would work. And, well, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to ask for forgiveness, but in a, a somewhat perfect world, I guess, sometimes it's that easy, but not always. And today, I want to get you thinking about those instances where forgiveness requires more. 
like the times when someone has done something wrong and they either deny it or they feel no remorse about it. Uh, how about when someone does apologize, but the pain is so deep, the, the, the trouble that they've caused, you know, their, their apology, it just doesn't make any difference. It, it doesn't change things. It's not enough to just say, I'm sorry. What about when someone hurts you, but then they aren't around anymore? They're gone. They've moved on. Perhaps they've even passed away, but the pain and the bitterness still remain. What, what about then? So here's my question for you today. Is there someone in your life right now that you are struggling to forgive? And some of you are, are like, you know, it's not a struggle at all. I just don't want to forgive them, right? <laughs> I'm not struggling with it. Well, let me put it a different way. Maybe there's someone in your life who you really believe you just can't forgive. And I am willing to bet that if that's the case, that you continue to experience the pain and the frustration and the bitterness associated with whatever happened at whatever point in your life. If you find yourself in a can't forgive kind of position today, I want to focus in on these two short verses in Ephesians. And honestly, what Paul has to say, it might strike some of you as abrupt and even abrasive, but I assure you that Paul only wants the best for you and the best for your life in Christ. Let's look at verse 31 again, Ephesians 4, 31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, harsh words and slander, along with every form of malice. Paul says, get rid of it. If things like bitter and rage and anger are pinned up inside of you, it needs to come out. You need to get rid of these things. And you might think Paul would make a lousy counselor because he hasn't even heard the details of your story yet. He hasn't heard your side. He just jumps right to the conclusion. He says, you have to get rid of it. The bitterness and anger, they, they have no place in your new life in Christ. And so that means if you are bitter towards a coach that doesn't play your kid, you need to get rid of that bitterness. If you had a friend that cheated you out of money or, or maybe gossiped about you, and if you're harboring bitterness there, you need to get rid of it. What about a boyfriend or a girlfriend who cheated on you? If there is some bitterness associated with that, Paul says, get rid of it. If you are still bitter over a divorce, Paul says, get rid of it. If growing up, your dad never paid any attention to you and you realize that you are very bitter, it's time to get rid of that bitterness. Can Paul say that? I mean, can he really tell us to get rid of the bitterness or, or to set aside our anger without even hearing the details of our story? I think we read what the Apostle Paul says and we, we respond in one of a few ways. First, we may say, well, I don't, really, I don't have any bitterness. It's not an issue. You know, we just pretend that nothing's wrong. And the truth is, sometimes we live in denial about the anger that we're holding on to. We may not see the bitterness, but I sure bet the people around us see it. Think about it. How do you react when that person's name comes up? What happens inside of you when you think about what they did to you or what happened in the past? And so there are times when we, we might say that we don't have bitterness. Other times we'll acknowledge our bitterness, but we don't really want to get rid of it. We hold on to it. Getting rid of it would be like letting them win, you know, or where would the justice be in that if we just let go? Uh, Paul Mumaw pointed out this week, he found a story uh, from Fortune magazine in 1957, an oil tycoon named uh, J. Paul Getty was declared the richest man in America. And Getty changed his will 21 times over the course of his life as his family and his friends would tick him off. And so every time that would happen, he'd just cut him out of the will, put somebody else in the will. 
And so like Getty, there are times when we don't want to get rid of our bitterness because we feel empowered by it. It gives us an edge or a leverage or the right to tell our side of the story. But where does that bitterness get us? Well, I bet you might have heard before that bitterness is like drinking poison and then hoping someone else will die. So sometimes we don't recognize the bitterness. Other times we do recognize it, but we don't want to get rid of it. A third response is a bit more humbling. And maybe there are some of you who find yourselves in this spot today, but something has happened in the past. We acknowledge that there is bitterness in us and we would love to get rid of it. We would love to see it gone from our lives. We just don't know how to do that. Maybe you want to forgive, but, but you just don't know how. Well, I want to tell you this morning that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book of Ephesians, he knew a lot about forgiveness. He experienced the power of forgiveness in his own life. And you can read it for yourself later. I would encourage you to go uh, to Acts chapter 7. We're just going to look at a very small portion of that today. Go home today and read that whole thing. It's an incredible account. But what we find in Acts chapter 7 is a young man named Stephen. And Stephen is defending the gospel. And he's presenting the truth of Jesus Christ in front of some religious leaders who really don't want to hear what he has to say. And they don't like what he's saying. In fact, look at what it says in in Acts 7, starting in verse 57. It says, at this, they covered their ears, talking about the religious leaders. They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. So it's this scene like when uh, a little kid doesn't want to hear what you're saying, you know, and they put their hand over their ears, and they start, you know, yelling themselves so they don't have to listen to you. That's what's happening here. It says, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. They were picking up rocks and throwing them at Stephen. They're so angry. They're so infuriated at what he's been saying. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died If you jump ahead to Acts uh, 8, verse 2, it says, Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Saul, who we just heard, was standing there watching as they executed Stephen. Saul, who was approving of that execution, he began to destroy the church. He was going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, when we get to Acts chapter 9, what we find is that this man, Saul, he, 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 this man who was bent on destroying the church, who approved of the killing of Christians, that he has an encounter with the Lord. And he repents of his old self. And the Lord gives him a new identity and a new name. Do you know what Saul's new name is? It's Paul. For those of you who don't know, this is the story of Paul before he was in Christ. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a a man who stood and approved of the execution of Christians. He was destroying the church. Paul was Saul, and he was a religious fanatic. 
And we saw that as Stephen was dying, he cried out to God. He said, forgive them, Lord. In his moment of death, Stephen forgave his attackers. He forgave Saul. And not only did Stephen forgive Saul, but more importantly, God forgave Saul. And he gave him a new identity and a new name. And so Paul knew and experienced the power of forgiveness in his life. He knew what it was like to owe a debt and then to have that debt forgiven. And because he was a recipient of great forgiveness, he in turn extended forgiveness. And don't forget that Paul, as he's writing this book of Ephesians, he's writing it from a prison cell in Rome. He's got plenty of reasons to be angry and bitter. I mean, the very people who he is trying to help, who he's trying to reach with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are the ones who have mistreated him, they've imprisoned him, and quite honestly, they would like to see him dead. But because he is in Christ, it's changed everything for him. He has set his heart on a new way of living. And because he sees that he has been forgiven, he can't help but forgive. And if the Apostle Paul is capable of forgiveness, why would it be any different for you and I? What is preventing you from forgiving someone in your life today? Paul says in verse 32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When Paul wrote these words, he wasn't just saying that we should be kind and compassionate to those who are kind and compassionate to us. That would be fairly easy. He actually wants us to be kind and compassionate toward the people who mistreat us, the people who speak badly about us, the people who hurt us. He says, even for them, forgive. You know, one of the things that I think about a lot, and I don't know this, we don't have any account in scripture, but I have to think that, that Paul, who used to be Saul, who went around killing Christians, who went around putting Christians in prison, who was destroying the church, that then after he has this conversion and he becomes Paul and he begins preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, he had to have interacted with some of these people who he put in prison. He had to have interacted with some wives of whom uh, their husbands, you know, he approved of their execution. He had to have been interacting with these people. And don't you think that Paul recognized in those moments his deep need for forgiveness? But what does that look like? I mean, what does it really mean to forgive someone? I want to I give you some points today of what forgiveness is. And then I also want to give you some points of what forgiveness isn't. Those are, are going to be listed on your message notes page. If you have that and you want to follow along, I would encourage you to do so. But let's, let's first look at what forgiveness is. First, forgiveness is a decision to cancel a debt. Forgiveness is often used as a financial term. When someone sins against you, a debt is accrued. And when you forgive, you surrender your right to make them repay that debt. So, so forgiveness is a decision to cancel a debt. Secondly, forgiveness is removing the control your offender has over you. When we refuse to forgive, our offender and the offense, they maintain some level of emotional presence in our lives. But when you forgive, you not only release the other person from their debt, but you also emotionally free yourself. You maybe have heard this saying before that forgiveness is choosing to set someone free and then realizing that that someone is you. So it's removing the control that the offender has over you. Third, forgiveness is a gift to your offender and to yourself. And you surely realize this, but bitterness can take a physical toll on your body. 
It can take a toll with things like anxiety and stress and high blood pressure. But forgiveness often leads to greater physical and emotional health. And don't miss this. Hebrews 12, 15 uh, is quick to point out that bitterness not only affects you, but it impacts others who are around you. Forgiveness is the gift of a healthier self uh, to the people around you as well. You know, along those same lines, forgiveness also means moving from a life that's centered on your pain to a life that's centered on God. It means that rather than your identity being found in what happened or what they did to you, that your identity can be found in Christ and his work and his healing in your life. Number four, forgiveness is forsaking revenge. The old self says take revenge. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you need to take revenge. But you've maybe heard the saying that a person who seeks revenge should dig two graves. The truth is that revenge may temporarily satisfy our rage, but it can never undo a wrong. It can never bring the satisfaction that we're really looking for. That's why this next point is so important. Number five, that forgiveness is leaving justice to God. It's leaving justice to God. Romans 12, 19 points out that vengeance belongs to God alone. He will sort out all of the wrongs in his perfect time and in his perfect way. It's trusting God with the way things will get resolved. Leave justice to God. Number six, forgiveness is a process. And sometimes, you know, we think, we think that we've forgiven someone, and, and maybe you actually did, and you were sincere about it. I mean, you really meant it. But then something happens, and all of a sudden, that wound is ripped wide open again. And while forgiveness is a decision, things like healing and trust and reconciliation, those things take time. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But forgiveness is a process. Number seven, forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. And that's not easy. Maybe you can't even imagine what that would be like to actually desire good for the person who has offended you. But what we do in our forgiving is that we start the process of moving from wanting them to suffer and pay And we move from from that to wanting them to repent and to be changed by God's grace. So that's a little bit about what forgiveness is. I think we also need to recognize this morning what forgiveness is not. So first I would say this. Forgiveness is not denying the sin. Okay, In forgiving someone, we're not saying that what happened wasn't a big deal. In fact, quite the opposite. What we're saying is that sin is a big deal. In fact, it's such a big deal that God the Father sent his son to be beaten and tortured and killed for our sins. He died for it. There's no denial of wrong here. That's not what this is about. Forgiveness is not denying the sin. Number two, forgiveness is also not enabling the sin. Forgiving doesn't mean that we allow people to remain stuck in their sinful patterns. It doesn't mean that we can't confront what happened or expect the offender to get help. We can forgive someone while still being truthful about their behavior. Number three, forgiveness is not dependent on an apology. And this one is so important because sometimes the offender will acknowledge what they did and how it was wrong and they'll seek that forgiveness. But as we already said before, sometimes that just doesn't happen. And there may be times when the person has passed away or we don't even know where they are anymore. But whatever the case, we are called to forgive whether there is an apology or not. So it's not dependent on an apology. Number four, forgiveness is not overlooking a crime committed. 
And you may disagree with me on this one. I'm okay with that, but I believe that it's possible and sometimes absolutely necessary to forgive and still seek legal action. There are obviously a lot of variables to this one, but if you are the victim of a crime, it is okay to seek professional counsel on the appropriate next steps to take. Don't confuse the need to forgive with the, with the need for accountability. Don't forget, don't forget that those are separate and both necessary issues. Number five, forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to go back to a position where you might put yourself or others around you in danger. You can forgive, but that doesn't mean that things have to be the way that they used to be. Again, make a distinction between forgiveness and accountability. Number six, forgiveness is not the same as trust. So forgiveness, it's a decision, and it only takes a moment to decide to forgive. But trust, that takes time. And this is where that process comes back into play. Paul Mumaw uh, pointed out this week as we were talking about this message that trust is made up of two ingredients, honesty and time. And there is no microwaving trust. It's a slow cooker recipe. Number seven, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness, again, it's a decision on the part of one person. But reconciliation, that takes two people. And that means that unless there is both the admission of guilt and forgiveness, that reconciliation can't occur. But often, forgiveness is the beginning of that process. Reconciliation, it can't happen without forgiveness. But they're not the same thing, so don't confuse those two things. So I hope that as we've talked through, you know, these seven things of what forgiveness is and seven things of what forgiveness isn't, I hope that this will help some of you in making those distinctions and, and, and as you move forward in this command to forgive. You know, many of you certainly will be familiar with the name Corey Ten Boom. We've got a, a picture of her that we're going to put up there. She was a Jewish woman who was arrested and mistreated by the Nazis uh, at Ravensbrück concentration camp during World War II. And her sister, Betsy, actually died there at the cruel hand of the Nazis. Sometime uh, after she was released at the end of the war, Corey was speaking at a church in Munich, and she recognized a man in the crowd. And this man had actually been a prison guard at Ravensbrück. And nothing could prepare her for what happened next. Corey Ten Boom writes that at the end of the service, when she was done giving her message, that the man walked forward, he extended his hand, and he said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And then Corey Ten Boom writes this. She says, and I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, I fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he? How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, his hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible uh, death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. 
For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless the temperature of the heart. Jesus help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. There are two truths that will provide the strength to follow through on this verse. The first is this, you are forgiven in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. Paul says, forgive as you have been forgiven. In love, Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, his rightful place of dwelling, and he gave his life on a cross where he submitted himself for your sins and for mine, and he took God's wrath for us there. And this means that if you are in Christ, God has forgiven you of all your sins. That's why Jesus uses his last breath to shout from the cross, it is finished. At that moment, your sins and mine were paid for and forgiven. The debt has been canceled. It's been paid in full. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you appreciate the power of forgiveness in your life? If the answer is yes, if you are in Christ, then you have been forgiven in Christ. And secondly, you can forgive in Christ. Paul shows us that we have two choices There is an old self way of living and it leads to bitterness. But the new self, the way for those who are in Christ is the way of forgiveness. Forgiveness changes things. What God wants for your life and for his people is a life where we refuse to get caught up in bitterness and that instead we would choose to forgive and it's through a relationship with Jesus, through better understanding his love and his grace and his forgiveness in our own lives and by recognizing his power in us that we are able to find the strength to forgive. Who are you angry with? What do they owe you? In Christ, It's time to cancel that debt, just as Christ canceled the debt for you. You know, once a month here at Genesis, we take time to celebrate communion. It's a time to celebrate the forgiveness that we find at the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we take communion together, as we eat the bread and as we drink the juice, we remember Christ's body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. And as we take them, we remember the sacrifice that Christ made so that we could be forgiven. As we move into a time of communion this morning, I wanna invite you to reflect on that forgiveness. And I want you to speak honestly to the Lord about who it is that you are struggling to forgive right now. 
In Christ, you have been forgiven, and in Christ, you must forgive. As we sing this next song, our host team's gonna come, and they're gonna pass the elements by. If, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to be a part of this time with us, whether this is your first time in Genesis or you've been here a long time. We celebrate communion as the body and the bride of Christ together. You're going to take two cups, and the top cup is the juice, and in the bottom cup uh, is the bread. And then I want to invite you in your own time, as we worship, as we sing this next song, or maybe just as you sit and reflect on the words to it, that in your time, as you've interacted with the Lord, that you would take that juice, and you would take that bread, and you would remember Christ's body and Christ's blood broken and poured out on your behalf. Let me pray for us this morning before we do those things. Father God, where would we be without forgiveness? Where would we be without the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? Father, where would we be without your grace and your mercy and your compassion over us and your great love? Father, that's what we reflect on now as we take communion together and we do this in remembrance of Jesus. Father, help us also right now to process truthfully, to interact with you truthfully about those who we are struggling to forgive. Father, the pain is real. What they did is real. Father, oftentimes the circumstances that followed are very real. And yet you have simply said, forgive as I forgave you. Lord, we draw from Christ, we draw from your spirit the strength to take that step of forgiveness. Father, give us boldness, give us courage, give us that strength today. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.